All right. Good morning, everybody. So nice to be here with you. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling a lot of anxiety about Rosh Hashanah, even though, of course, you know, as Jews, we go into our day of judgment with confidence that the true judge who knows our thoughts and our deeds and all of the things that get in our way, our obstacles, our weaknesses, our challenges, will give us a favorable judgment just by showing him that we want to put our best foot forward. So usually what people talk about is how difficult it is for us to understand royalty, monarchy, kingship, the idea of Hashem as ruler, which is really the theme of the day of Rosh Hashanah. But um, I'm wondering how many of you, and, and Penny just came back from England, so she must have really been in the thick of it. Penny, you could tell us a little bit about it. I know I went over to visit my aunt, and of course, the funeral was on large screen TV, and I couldn't tear myself away from it. The visit was longer, even though we didn't talk to each other. We just were glued to the TV, I mean, to the, to the funeral. And a lot of Jews are noting that, of course, we say that there are no coincidences. The fact that the queen died was Nifter, Aleha HaShalom, right? So close to Rosh Hashanah, where again, the mitzvah of the day is to make God our king. And it's, you know, it's just a very difficult thing to do in this day and age to understand. But there were a lot of thoughts and words that came, you know, out during that funeral, a lot of pomp and ceremony. Uh, you know, it brought to mind the idea that one of the reasons that we blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah is to coronate the king. You know, the king is coming, blow the shofar, put the crown on his head, which is going to be happening. Maybe it did happen. I don't know yet with Prince Charles becoming king. I don't know if that ceremony no, it hasn't happened yet. Good. Not yet. Okay, right. But I'm saying all of the pomp and ceremony and and a lot of words that were used. And one of the words that I heard a lot was the word service. You know, the service that the queen gave, that she basically submitted herself entirely to her role as queen. And of course, we know that today, you know, being a queen is really just being a figurehead. She certainly didn't have the power that queens and kings of the past had. And yet, you know, the concept that came through about her was her, number one, they talked a lot about her humility. Number two, her, again, complete subjugation to her role that she played and her service, which again, we use that word, which always sounds kind of awkward when I use the word, you know, avodat Hashem, that we have to have service to God, that that is what it means to be an Evid Hashem, to be a servant to the king, to be a servant to God. And we saw a glimpse of that. You know, we saw an incredible glimpse of that with this funeral. We saw, you know, again, the other thing that really made an impact on me was the movements of, you know, the, 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 the movements that, which took place with everybody in unity, right? The, the way the soldiers moved, the way the parade was, the way they carried her coffin up the stairs. There wasn't one extraneous movement. And again, as a, as a Musser Haskell, meaning what can we learn from this 
in terms of our own service to Hashem, what, you know, what I saw was that here you have people with the queen who are so regimented that there's no extraneous movement. There's this kind of awe and fear of not doing anything unnecessary, right? And it actually reminded me of a story that they tell of Rav Moshe Feinstein. They said that once he was sent to the police station, uh, I guess this was in Russia where he lived and it was a, a very hard and bad time for Jews. And he was told not to move. And because of that experience, he was somebody who never shuckled during Shemona Esri. If you know what shuckling is, it, you know, it's when men or we, when we pray, we move back and forth. It kind of gets us inflamed, right? It says that when you move your outside, it, it, it brings passion into the inner world. But Rav Moshe, because of that experience of being in this police station and being told not to move a muscle, right? He never shuckled during Shemona Esrei for this reason. He said, if I'm this afraid of flesh and blood, how much more so should I be of the master of the universe? So again, that funeral and the, you know, the precise movement with nothing extraneous really um, gave me a sense of the awe and the fear, the healthy kind of fear that we're supposed to feel on the day of Rosh Hashanah. So, you know, the question that, each one of us has to ask as we come closer to Rosh Hashanah is what is it that we worship? Who do we worship? What are the obstacles and things that get in the way of us worshiping the one king, the true king? I've said in other classes that Ben Shapiro, this uh, popular political commentator who happens to wear a keep on his head, Baruch Hashem, and has, you know, very his ideas are very in line and in sync with Torah, says that there's basically three things that a person uh, has the choice of worshiping in this world. And that is God, state, or himself, or the self. And, you know, many rabbis, many thinkers, many commentators have said about the generation that we're living in, that we're a generation that worships the self. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs humorously quipped that when they do an archaeological dig of our generation, they'll find zillions of self-help books, but then they'll find, and then they'll find the selfie stick. And he said that the archaeologists will conclude that this was a generation that worshipped the self. So we know what we're up against. And um, Making Hashem our king, as I said, is the mitzvah of Rosh Hashanah and recognizing that he's the only one worth worshiping. That everything else in this world is just a means to work towards becoming the greatest Eved Hashem, working in his service, right? As we saw with the queen's funeral, the way people felt towards her, that kind of allegiance and awe and love all mixed together. This is the kind of feeling, this is the kind of um, understanding that we're supposed to come closer to during this day of Rosh Hashanah. On Rosh Hashanah, it's a day where we realign ourselves with our purpose in this world. 
And as Jews, we know that our purpose in this world is for one thing and one thing only, to create Kiddush Hashem in the world. To Kiddush Hashem meaning that through our actions, through our behaviors, through our thoughts, and, our de- and everything that we do, we bring Hashem into the world. We make Hashem more apparent in the world. Because that is the goal of Rosh Hashanah. Now, the, the Musa of Shmona Esrei, which is the main governing of, 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 of the day, is split up into three sections. And the first one is called Malchius. And it has many psuki, many verses that refer to this idea of the idea that we're here in this world to make Hashem king. And it's really the Jewish people's responsibility to again, make Hashem apparent in the world, make him not only the omnipotent God, but for people to recognize that he's the omniscient God, the God who sees everything, the God who's involved in our lives, and the God who obviously also loves and cares for us. So here it says in the Musa, Hashem, oh, so too, O Hashem, our God, instill your awe upon all your works, and your dread upon all that you have created. Let all works revere you and all creatures prostrate prostrate themselves before you. Let them all become a single society to do your will wholeheartedly. For as we know, Hashem our God, that the dominion is yours, might is in your hand and strength is in your right hand and your name inspires awe over all that you have created. And of course, one of the things that we do on this, uh, in this section of Malkyu, as I mentioned last week, is we say the Aleinu prayer. And this Aleinu prayer, as you all know, is usually said at the end of our prayer service, right? We say Aleinu and we end with Bayom Hahu Yiyeh Hashem Echad Ushemo Echad. But again, sometimes we say it and we say it without thinking. We don't really think about the words. And here we have them in the Machsor. It's our duty to praise the master of all, to ascribe greatness to the molder of prime evil creation. And again, the Jewish role, for he has not made us like the nations of the lands and has not emplaced us like the families of the earth. Okay? They bow to vanity and emptiness and pray to a God that helps not. But we bend our knees, bow and acknowledge our thanks before the king who reigns over kings. And the second verse, of course, talks about how we put our hope in you, Hashem, that you will remove detestable idolatry from the earth and false gods will be utterly cut off to perfect the universe through the almighty sovereignty. Our purpose in this world is that all humanity will call upon your name to turn all the earth's wicked towards you. All the world's inhabitants will recognize and know that to you every knee should bend, every tongue should swear. Okay, and as we know, it goes on and on. And in this prayer, we actually, many people don't just bend their knees and bend over, but they actually get down on the ground in shul. There's a halacha that you're supposed to put something under your knees, right? If it's a stone floor, it has something to do with idolatry. But anyway, many people bow down completely when they're saying this Elenu prayer. And again, the way that the Elenu prayer uh, ends in our regular davening is, Bayom Hahu Yeh Hashem Echad 
Echad, that on that day, God, his name will, sorry, Hashem will be one and his name will be one. And the question that's asked is, what does that mean his name will be one? Of course, we know that we, we, we want everybody to come to the recognition that there's only one God, but what does it mean his name will be one? So again, this has to do with the mitzvah of Rosh Hashanah, the mitzvah which takes place in our thoughts, making Hashem our king. And of course, scrutinizing our deeds to see in what ways do we do that in our daily lives and in what ways do we ignore that? So right now we're told Hashem has two names. He's called Melech HaOlam, the king of the world. But a king can only be proclaimed a king by his kingdom. So when we proclaim God king and use our free will to make God our king, then he becomes king. A king needs a kingdom to reign over, inhabitants of the kingdom. Now, until we do that, he's also called a Moshel, which means a dictator. It means he rules without the consent of the people, without their desire for him, without their will bent towards him. And today we live in a world, again, where, so to speak, God has two names. We know he's a Melech. But a melech rules with the consent of the people, with the subjugation of the people to his will. A moshel, again, is a, is a dictator who nobody wants, who would rather that, that, that he didn't exist. And this is, of course, the way most of the world lives today when it comes to understanding that there's a ruler and a judge who, 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 who is judging all of mankind on Rosh Hashanah. So on that day, his name will be one, which is that all the world will recognize that uh, he is the one king. Okay, I wanted to talk about something that I said I would talk about last week, and we didn't really have time. So we're going to talk about it now. Hold on. Where is it? Oh. oh boy, okay, all right. Sorry, one sec, here it is, thank you, okay. So this is based on a class from Dina Schoonmaker that I heard. I'll just do a little bit more because I've been feeling pretty tired lately. So whatever. Okay. So there's a source in the Gemara in Brachas Hafches. And this is a place in the Gemara where there are um, great sages who gave their parting words to their Talmudim before they die. So one of these great sages was Rav Yochanan ben Zakkai. And what he told his students is, may your fear of Hashem be as great as your fear of human beings. So you have to realize these were great students, right? These were Tommy Dehachamim and people with tremendous midos. 
And they were so shocked when he told them this part, these parting words, may your fear of Hashem be as great as your fear of human beings. So the students replied, only that much? To which the Rebbe replied, Chalavai, that it should be so. Meaning, Chalavai, that you should fear God the way you fear other people. So what was he telling them? Even though they were great people, he felt that this was a message that they needed to hear. Because this is the nature of, of human beings. We care more about what other people think than we care about what Hashem thinks of us. Okay? Things that would embarrass us or we would dare not do in front of other people for fear that they might see us, we may have no qualms at all about doing in front of Hashem. Now, the point that Dina Schoonmaker says is if this is the message that they needed to hear back then, that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai needed to tell his Talmidim, then how much more so do we need to hear it today? So she says that the human condition is that we care about what other people think, and extremely so in today's image-conscious world, right? We don't have to go into social media and Facebook and Instagram and, you know, everybody wanting to be out there and give their two cents and, and, and you know, show what they ate that night and show what they're wearing and show what they're doing. But this obsession with self, again, back to the self, right? And this obsession with worry about how many likes and how many dislikes I'm going to get from the people around me, this just brings home the point that we are so inundated with this fear and worry about what other people think and eclipse the whole point of life, which is to be in awe and fear of Hashem, not because of his omnipotence, merely that he could do anything to us, worry about punishment, worry about din, oh, I better be good, I better do what I'm supposed to do because otherwise Hashem's going to zap me, right? But because of his omniscience, that he is able to see and hear all that we do. So Dina explains, why is this part of the human condition? And of course, part of it is that, you know, other people are real to us. Hashem is invisible. I used to say, you know, that the Goyim, they make images, right? They've got Buddha, they've got images all over their churches and everything else. Because let's face it, it's a lot easier to relate to some kind of physical image as physical beings than it is to this invisible God that we have to somehow imagine, right? The Rambam says, how do you know? How can you know God? He says, you have to study the physical world. You have to see his works, right? And understand them as much as you can, appreciate them. And that's how you come to know God. But it's a different kind of avoda than, you know, when we have an invisible God, basically. I mean, obviously, they also believe God is invisible, but they use these images to help them. And of course, those images end up becoming worshipped, right? This was the beginning, the Rambam says, at the beginning of time, everybody worshipped 
Everybody understood there was God. He was invisible. He was the creator. But what happened from the time of Adam to Noah is people started to say, you know what? I can't see God. It's very difficult to imagine him. So what I'll do is I'll worship his servants. And that's how they began to worship the sun and the moon and the stars and the trees. Because they said, these are God's servants. I can't see him. So, you know, I'll worship these things. So, you know, just an aside of how this happens. But the point is, is that because other people are real to us, and Hashem is abstract and invisible and not immediate and not in the here and now and intangible, we find it a lot more accessible to worry and be nervous about what other people think than about what Hashem does. Now, interestingly, she brings down another Gemara in Baba Kama, Ayin Tess, and it talks there about the difference between two kinds of robbers, okay? The difference between a ganav and a gazlan. Okay, so a ganav is a robber who calculates when you're going to be away from home. Okay, he spends a lot of time figuring out at what time of night, uh, you know, when he's going to be sure not to be caught. And that's when he's going to rob your house. Okay, he's trying not to be seen. Now, the guzzlan is somebody who's, who could rob you in broad daylight, okay? Somebody just recently said they're in Italy and they wear a special belt or something around them or they put their money in a special place because pickpockets are everywhere there or it's known to, to be very easily pickpocketed. So the difference between a gunnav and a guzzlan is a guzzlan will steal from you in broad daylight. A pickpocket, somebody who might mug you, to take your stuff. So the Gemara asks the question, who gets a bigger punishment? The, the Gazlan or the Ganav? So it says the Ganav has to pay back double the amount of whatever he stole. The Ganav again is the one who calculates when nobody can see him and that's when he robs. So he has to pay back double, why? Because he has no fear of God, right? He figures God doesn't see him either. And the guzzlan only has to pay back what he stole. So again, the answer that they give to this, which corresponds with our uh, saying that, you know, our fear of God should be as great as our fear of other people, is the idea that the ganav is afraid of people, but he's not afraid of God who sees all. The guzzlan who steals in broad daylight, isn't afraid of people. He doesn't care. He's just going to go right to it, okay? And he'll steal in front of others. So how does this apply to us? So there are things we would never do in front of other people, right? But if they weren't there, I might do it. You know, and we know that, especially today, behind the computer and on Zoom, I mean, not on Zoom, but on the computer in our own homes, there is so much opportunity for people to engage in activities that they would never do in public or they would never engage in or have anybody know about in the privacy of their own homes now. But if God forbid, you know, out there in the community, they they can be upstanding, outstanding, 
you know, pious looking citizens. But today we have this computer that enables people to engage in theft, right? Scamming, taking advantage of other people, looking at images that are not appropriate. And again, this has magnified this whole idea of your fear of other people should be as great, right? As your, sorry, your fear of God should be as great as your fear of other people, right? So um, this is just a, another message that I wanted to give over because I think it's a very interesting way also of gauging, you know, where we're holding in terms of understanding that this fear of God is something that should inform everything that we do, that there is a God who sees and who hears and who is writing it down, right? That, that uh, actually we're, we're writing down, right? The books that are being written are the books that we're writing through our actions and through our thoughts, etc. Okay. Um, Okay, the middle part of the davening on in Musa after Malchios is called Zichronos, for those of you who know this or maybe don't know this. And Zichronos means from the word Zachor, remembrance. And the point of this section is really telling us that God remembers the deeds done in the universe and recalls all the creatures fashioned since earliest times. Before you are all hidden things are revealed and the multitude of mysteries since the beginning of creation. For there is no forgetfulness before your throne of glory and nothing is hidden from before your eyes. You remember everything ever done and not a single creature is hidden from you. It says that even the angels tremble on this day of Rosh Hashanah because even the angels, so to speak, recognize that their existence depends on the judgment of man. In other words, if the human being isn't, uh, isn't doing his purpose in the world, then God basically could revert all of creation back to nothingness. There's no point to his universe. There's no point if people are not fulfilling the purpose of the world to bring everybody to a recognition of Hashem. So even the angels shudder because they know man is being judged and they too will disappear if man is not successful. So everything is revealed and known before you, Hashem, our God, who keeps watch and sees to the very end of all generations. Okay, so again, we know regarding countries, it's a day which is destined for the sword and which for peace, which for hunger and which for abundance. And creatures are recalled on it to remember them for life or death. Who is not recalled on this day? Everyone's deed and mission, the accomplishments of man's activity, man's thoughts and schemes, and the motives behind man's deeds. Praiseworthy is the man who doesn't forget you, the human being who takes strength in you. Okay, for those who seek you will never stumble, nor will those who take refuge in you ever be humiliated. So we know that this day is a day when we are scrutinized. Again, as part of the community and each one of us individually, 
like a soldiers walking up a mountain single file. Each one of us is scrutinized. Oops, there goes my internet. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Whoops, just lost you. Sorry about that. Okay. Okay, so let's just, so the whole idea of Zichronos is that Hashem cares what we do. The God who loves us is going to judge us. That we have a responsibility to uplift his world and not destroy it. And back to the idea of din, that there's reward and punishment for our actions. Now, there's an idea that when you do din lamata, then you don't need din lamala. In other words, when we do din on ourselves, when we scrutinize our own deeds and judge our own actions, then Hashem, so to speak, doesn't need to judge us. We can get out, we can, um, what's the word? Uh, instead of having the court case, we can somehow get out of the court case, okay, before it happens. I can't remember what the term is. Anyway, the point is, is that the idea is, is that we, when we do din on ourselves, then there's no need for Hashem to do din on us, right? Rosh Hashanah the fir- is, is the first day of Tishrei is the astrological sign of the scales, the astrological signs are Jewish in origin, okay? It's not a coincidence that Tishrei is the scales. And of course, we know that Gemara that says each person should see themselves, their next action as tipping the scale either for good or for bad. And that is the incredible power that each individual human being has. In other words, the whole world is resting on each one of our shoulders in terms of tipping the scale, which is equally balanced, the rabbis tell us. And a person should think that by my next move, I can tip the scale one way or the other. Okay? We know that Rosh Hashanah is a day of judgment, that everything for the entire year is determined on Rosh Hashanah. And the rest of the year will just play itself out. On Rosh Hashanah, Hashem writes down what will be. And on Yom Kippur, it's sealed. And then, of course, we have that time period in between where we can still change things. But it is much more difficult to change a decree after these days of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Um, Okay, the mood of the day is solemn and serious, but it's also joyful. It's not a time for socializing. People don't generally invite guests on Rosh Hashanah. Family can get together unless they're people who don't have really any family or anywhere to go. But it's not considered a yant of like sukkahs where everybody, you know, is having a good time and talking about all kinds of, you know, uh, conversations that aren't that important. And so it's the, the mood of the day should be solemn. It's not a time of socializing. We're being judged, okay? We're not supposed to be overly frivolous or chatty. There's a custom not to sleep on Rosh Hashanah because it says that if one sleeps at the beginning of, ye- of the year, his fortune, his muzzle also sleeps. 
So at the same time that it's a serious day, it's also a joyful day. We wear yantav clothing, we have yantav meals, we greet everybody with Shana Tova, and it's a happy day. Again, because Hashem is judging us, it means that we have importance, we matter. It makes a difference to God. He created each one of us completely uniquely. There's been no one like us from the beginning of time until now. In this generation, with a mission to accomplish, and we're happy because we're confident that Hashem is going to give us a good judgment. After all, as long as we worked hard to get to this day, we're supposed to be using Elul to prepare, to exercise us, our soul, to get it in shape, to think about where we're going wrong and how we have to change. We took on maybe some new practices. You know, we're supposed to take on some new practices and work to change a nasty habit. The mitzvah is to do tshuva, and tshuva is not a time-bound mitzvah. So it makes it very difficult. You know, there's a difference between important and urgent. And even though we know we're supposed to be doing tshuva during this time period, it's something that we keep pushing off and pushing off because maybe it's important, but we don't feel it's urgency. So we know the four steps of tshuva, just a quick review, is number one, to recognize the sin. Now, obviously, the more Torah a person knows and the more halachas, etc., the more a person knows what is expected of them. But based on our knowledge, based on what we do know, based on being honest with ourselves, the first step is recognizing I've done wrong, right? The second step is harata, to feel regret. Oh, I'm so sorry that I did that. I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I wouldn't do that again and again, right? And the next step is called confession, vidui. You know, as a kid, I always thought of confession as a Catholic idea, right? They go to the priest, they do confession. I guess they got it from us. The difference is, of course, God is everywhere. We don't confess to people. We confess to Hashem, those mitzvahs between us and Hashem that we're negligent in. But we all know that God says when it comes to you and other people, I cannot forgive those sins. If you have problems or relationship issues that need to be corrected, it's your job to go and ask forgiveness to them. And only then can Hashem forgive us, right? Mita Kenegad Mita also to the extent that we forgive other people, even if it's only in our minds, because we'll never be able to talk to that person or we know that person has a grudge against us, right? But to the extent that we're able to forgive them, even in our minds, that's the degree to which Hashem will forgive us. So this is a very important idea to keep in mind. And the last thing after we confess, right, is to resolve not to do it again. I really don't want to do this again. Now, of course, we know that not doing things again is a very difficult thing. It's called tshuva shalema, complete tshuva. Most people or many people to have tshuva shalema, first of all, it can take years and years and years of our whole lives working on something. And it's a very difficult thing to attain. But the idea is, is that rather than just getting rid of the symptom 
of the sin. For example, Lashon Hara, somebody who likes to speak badly about other people. And it comes from jealousy and it comes from feelings of insecurity and feelings of worthlessness and all kinds of bad meetups, right? Building yourself up, even though it's a fake kind of feeling of superiority. So one has to get to the source of why is it that I feel this need to speak Lashonara? Where's it coming from? What negative bad meta within me do I need to correct? Or where do I need to build myself up and become more confident and raise my self-esteem and realize my self-worth and other people's worth comes only from Hashem, right? Comes from the fact that each one of us has a holy, pure neshama. And only Hashem can judge other people. Only He knows what their difficulties, what their obstacles are, what their character traits are, right? That they succumb to over and over again. So who are we to sit in judgment of other people? The goal is to sit in judgment of ourselves. And again, in a kind way, because, you know, back to Dina Schoonmaker's point, women beat themselves up. The Musar Svarim are generally written for men who aren't as good at beating themselves up, you know? So we have to be gentle with ourselves. If we find something that really is a negative trait or a manifestation of that negative trait, we have to go to the source and say, how can I deepen my relationship with Hashem, deepen my relationship with myself as a, as a neshama, as a piece of Hashem, so to speak, a spark of Hashem, and not feel this need to be so, what's the word, superficial, but go deeper. Okay. Um, okay, the last idea before we go, I guess I'm finishing up, chauffeur, right? The last part of the Musa service, Shmona Esrei, the longest davening of the year, right? the longest davening of the year. I really, I used to think the first time I think I davened it, I said, now I know why prayer is called avoda, because it's hard work <laughs> just to stand there. And one of the practical tips people say is don't worry about your shoes, you know, wear the most comfortable shoes, who cares, right? Let your fear of God be greater than your fear of other people. You know, you want to daven a good shmonastery, this is it, your life is hanging in the balance. This is it for the year. So, you know, get rid of the worry about the externals. And anyway, so chauffeur. So what's chauffeur all about? What do we blow chauffeur for? So it's a very strange instrument. It's a primitive instrument. It doesn't make music. It's not included in the symphony orchestra. And yet it is so important to Rosh Hashanah. So the idea of the chauffeur, first of all, the word chauffeur, le chapeur, means to improve yourself, to improve. Okay, but it says about the sound of the chauffeur, it's, it's, it's the metaphor of the idea that our words cannot express how we feel and how we want to return to Hashem, right? Rather, it's the inarticulate cry of the Pintala Yid who's lost his way and wishes to return home. It's like the bugle that blows rev reveille saying, wake up, rouse yourselves from your slumber, 
and return to Hashem. So again, the shofar blow is this inarticulate cry that while it's blowing in Shua, we're supposed to focus. There's actually 10 different things that the shofar represents, but the main thing is this desire to return of tshuva, to come back to our true selves, to come back to our true essence, which is to be an Eved Hashem and to uncover all of the schmutz, I don't know if that's a bad word, all of the dirt that we are sullied by and our pure soul is surrounded by. The chauffeur is supposed to wake us up, which is a very difficult thing to do because there's so much noise from within us and from the culture around us. It's so difficult to break habits. We need some kind of wake up that breaks our habits. It's so hard to change. So the sound pierces through all the noise and every year the sound is meant to open up our hearts a little bit more. And the idea of the chauffeur is Hashem is saying, you can always come home. The door is always open. That's the chauffeur's message. Just quickly, the chauffeur is about past, present, and future. Okay? Past, present, and future. Past is, a, you know, it recalls a Kedas Yitzchak. You know what? Let me go in order here. Okay. So past, present, and future. So past is number one. Rosh Hashanah is the anniversary of the day that the world was created. Right? And again, the sixth day of creation, because that's when man was created. And only man can coronate the king. He doesn't want the sun to, or the birds to, or the trees to. They do it naturally. Every, every other creation recognizes its creator. It's only human beings who are given the choice to recognize the creator or pretend ignorance of him make up all kinds of rational lies, rationalizations about why there's no God in the world, okay? But number two, we blow it to remember Mount Sinai. Again, the past, when we accepted the Torah amid shofar blow, blows, we're reminded on Rosh Hashanah to renew our commitment to God. Number, okay, the present is the idea that we're supposed to wake up right now today and do tshuva. More about the past reminds us of Akedas Yitzchak. It says about Yitzchak Avinu that even though he was not killed on the Akedah, God tells him to stop. We say in the davening that the ashes of Yitzchak are always in front of Hashem. It's as if it's as if Avraham had committed that sacrifice. In other words, Avraham's obedience and desire to do God's will um, is is brought up to Hashem's attention through the shofar blow. Because we know that instead of sacrificing Yitzchak, Abraham sacrifices a ram instead. So the shofar reminds God about who our great, 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 great grandfather was. And in his merit, remember what he did and allow us to continue. It also, in terms of the future, the chauffeur reminds us of the judgment day of the future when all nations will have their final judgment and it'll be a day of chauffeur blowing and shouting. It's a day when the Jews will be gathered from the four corners of the earth to Jerusalem. And it also reminds us of the idea in the future 
that Tachias Amesim, the resurrection of the dead, which is one of the 13 principles of faith, the Rambam says, to be a believing Jew, you have to believe in the resurrection of the dead, which will come after the time of Mashiach. That will be accompanied by the shofar. So just in conclusion, quickly, Rosh Hashanah is a day of opportunity. In some small way, it's a way to make Hashem your king, to make it real, that he's not just king of the universe, but he's king of your life. To take on some small change, say Moda'ani, give tzedakah, work on a bad character trait, do something different that is in line with who you really want to be that takes commitment. Number two, Zichronos, remember, Hashem remembers everything. He judges us because what we do matters. Everything's being recorded. Everything has an effect. Our thought, our, it's called Rosh Hashanah because the word Rosh, which means beginning, also means head because everything begins with our thoughts, right? The head controls the body. Everything begins with our thoughts. So Rosh Hashanah is also called the day of our thoughts because the, the right kind of thoughts lead to the right kind of words and then to the right kind of action. So there's so much here, but I've said this before in other classes. You have to become a melech over yourself. What does the word melech stand for? Moach, which is the mind, lave, the emotions and klaying, which is representing the actions. A person who's a melech over themselves, each one of us is an, you know, an olam katan. There's the olam gadol, the big world that the king of the universe, you know, created and is, 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 is running. But there's also the olam katan, that we have to become king over ourselves through following the dictates of the Torah, okay? Um, again, my next action could tip the scale for good or bad. And the last idea that the chauffeur is there as a wake-up call. The chauffeur calls to tell us, look at your past, look at the present, and think about the future, and fulfill your role and task as a Jew in this world. The call of the chauffeur tells us to come home, not to keep running away. The call of the chauffeur tells us, we're never hopeless. It's never too late. We're never too low to be able to return to Hashem. The door is always open and we can always come home. I don't know how many of you are familiar with that book by Margaret Wise Brown, The, the Runaway Bunny. Anybody ever read that story to their kid? I don't know why that's not as popular as Good Night Moon or whatever. But I, I used to read it. It's, it's really an incredible story. And it just, to me, it just, it's uh, it, it's a simple children's book, but it really encapsulates the human condition of our relationship with God. Basically, there's this little bunny at the beginning of the book who mad at his mother for whatever reason and says, I'm going to run away from home. And, you know, he starts running. And then the next page says, I'm going to become a fish and I'm going to swim away from you. And the mother says in the next page, she says, well, if you become a fish, then I'm going to become a fisherman and I'm going to catch you, right? Then the next page, he says, well, I'm going to become a mountain climber and I'm going to climb away from you. And the mother says, well, if you become a mountain 
climber. I'm going to be the mountain. And I'm going to be right there with you. Right? Anyway, it goes on and on like this. I'm going to join the circus. I'm going to become a trapeze artist. And, you know, the mother says, well, I'm going to be on the other side of the trapeze. And when you swing, I'm going to be the one who catches you. Anyway, you can imagine this goes on for several pages. By the end of the book, basically, the little bunny says, oh, forget this. You know, I might as well just come home and be your little bunny. And, of course, the mother's been waiting for him all this time. But it's really a mashal, a parable to the human condition, which is this desire to be independent, the desire to think we can do it all by ourselves, the desire to think that every breath we take, to forget, I'm sorry, that every breath we take is completely dependent on Hashem giving us that breath. And the idea of Rosh Hashanah is the mother and the child, the child that realizes, what am I running away for? You know, because wherever I run, as David Amelach says, if I would run to the ends of the heaven or to the deepest parts of the sea, I'd find you. I'd find you in these places. I can never run away. So we can never run away. So what Rosh Hashanah is telling us to do to make an active effort to just run towards Hashem. And he stands there with his arms wide open. Anyway, want to wish you all a Kasiva Vachasima Tova, a good Gebenched Yor, a happy, healthy new year. God willing, we should continue to learn together in the new year. Everyone should have simchas and good health and brachas and the courage to take whatever steps we need to take to come closer to Hashem, to align ourselves with Hashem, which will bring all kinds of good and bracha. Sarah, you have the book? Right here. I... I give it, oh, if someone has a baby, I buy a backpack with the kid's name and I give the hard book. Wow, we see that? It's a great book. It's like for adults, right? I love right? it. I love it, yeah. Can you read us the last page before we go? Oh, okay. What is I don't the, know if I oh. said it right. <laughs> Shuck said the bunny, I might just as well stare, stay where I am and be your little bunny. And so he did. Have a carrot, said the mother. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, Sarah. Oh, thank you. Have a wonderful day and a wonderful yeah, yantu. And you too. And a and good only... bench to yours. Oh, Amen. Thank, thank you. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Puzzle again.